Rational discussion, common sense, open debate. RCR, Reality Check Radio with Paul Brennan. So you've just heard from Tehuia Bill Hamilton. And uh, now I want to welcome back to RCR, Muriel Newman, who beams in via the phone from Northland. Muriel, good to have you back in 2024. Thank you, Paul. It's lovely to be back. Okay, I know we had a couple of chats last year that was leading up to the election. We might have had one after the election, but um, boy, um, 2023 was quite a year, don't you think? Yes, it was. And, um, you know, it was very full on. And I think we all thought once the election was over, you know, that we might be able to have a bit of a breather. But um, 2024 has started off as a really hot year, so yeah. in many ways. And so I think that um, there's no hope of a breather at all. <laughs> it seems to me, I'd be interested to get your view on this, it seems to me that there is a proportion of New Zealand society, media, public, uh, public service, um, NGOs, you know, across the, the board that hasn't quite got the memo that things might have changed. I think you're right. It's um, a very peculiar uh, situation that we're in where there are so many people who seem very angry and upset that we're doing things differently. And it's like you say, they haven't registered that there's actually been a change in government. And um, when you watch the media, it's quite bizarre, really, because... If you look back at how the media treated the last government, which was quite kindly, to be honest, uh, where they gave them a chance to have their say, and if they were critical, it was respectful. And you look at what they're doing to the new coalition, and it's quite appalling, to be honest. Pretty obvious, isn't it? Yeah, it's... um, but it's still appalling. I mean, you know, when you look back in the days where we relied on the media, and of course, as a democracy, we do rely on the media. It is the fourth estate. It should be a watchdog for the public. But what we had always expected was a balance of opinion and for the news to be reported. And now, of course, what's happened is that it doesn't seem any longer to be the news. It seems to be opinion all the time. And um, I, I just think it's it's taking the country or taking the industry on a really downward spiral and have to say, you know, thank goodness for stations like yourselves. Well, thank you for that. Um, I'm wondering, um, obviously, private media entities, because they're private and um, and they can call their own shots, I guess, if they want to be coming from a particular position or ideology or whatever, that's that's one thing. Um, obviously, if all of them are like that, that's an issue for the way the public are informed. But it seems, well, the comments that you've just made and the point that I just sort of raised that we got to uh, through that is that there are state media organisations, I'm thinking of RNZ and TVNZ, who are in that zone as well. And that is not tolerable, surely. Well, no, that's right. It's taxpayers' money that is propping them up to a a larger or smaller degree. And, you know, it's what we expect from the media is a balance. I mean, they've got to be fair. 
and they're not at the moment and you know you end up by wanting to throw things at the radio or at the television and that's just not right and so the instant response is to say well you know just defund them you know take away their funding now of course it's not as easy as that um, but I suspect that the new government is going to be wrestling with these matters because there's now going to be a very large proportion of New Zealanders who feel exactly like this, that the uh, taxpayer-funded media is letting the country down and they're letting democracy down, and that can't be allowed to continue. And, of course, Paul, what we can't forget is that the Public Interest Journalism Fund that Labor put in place, if you remember, it was $55 million, Uh and for three years there were um, various rounds of funding, and the last one stopped in June of last year, but the funding carries on until 2026. And so there's a whole bunch of media outlets in New Zealand that are still receiving funding from that uh, public interest fund. And as a result, they have to do certain things. They have to promote the treaty partnership agenda. They've got to uh, promote the whole Maori world view. And and a lot of them had to, to be eligible for the funding. They actually had to write that into their business plans. And so they had to get sign off from their boards and all sorts of things. So it's a lot deeper than I think most people realise. And as I said, it carries on for a long, long time into the future. Well, that can't be allowed to continue, can it? Because it's, at what point does it threaten the cohesion of a society? Well, this is the problem, isn't it? That when you think about it, you know, you think about the election and voters rejected the last government. They rejected their agenda that they were putting onto the country and they wanted a fresh start. They wanted a reset in in a number of ways, and and one of them was over race relations. That became a big election issue. And so now what we've got is a lot of the media still peddling the agenda that Labour put in place because they wrote that into the contracts that they all signed up. And if they broke the contracts, then they had to pay back the money. Yeah, that's right. And, of course, that money goes back three years. So, you know, this is no uh, easy solution and no simple solution, but man alive, it's got to be solved. And, of course, um, what um, we haven't mentioned is also the individual one-on-one payments funding to place stories on media platforms, including the state media platforms. That's right, and that was really quite a scandal when we learnt that some of these um, stories, which were really, you know, public relations exercises, you know, it was propaganda, uh, they were run uh, without any any sign of saying it was an advertisement, so they were run as if they were news stories. And so, you know, that was pretty much appalling. And again, it was millions of dollars that we're talking about now. This was not just a few thousand here or there. It was a sizable chunk of funding, and it was really to push the government's uh, propaganda. And um, I don't know whether, you know, the current government is going to um, entertain doing that sort of thing, but one would hope not. Well, I think there'd be a lot of very disappointed voters if they thought that was going to continue. Okay, so we've just had uh, 
Waitangi Day and the controversy at the moment is, you know, um, examining principles of the Treaty of Waitangi. We've had a lot of uh, talk about that here at RCR the last week. We kind of know how all that came about. Um, how how do you think that's been framed in the public square through the media? Because it seems to me Waitangi kind of showed it, though you're going to get a concentrated sort of feel of that. Um, there seems to be quite a bit of anger about, but the other thing I've noticed is is the anger is being focused on what seems to be faulty information. That's right, and, and that's where, you know, you have to wonder about the bias that the media are harbouring. Uh, sorry, mainstream media, I should keep saying that, uh, that they're harbouring, you know, from the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Um, if they're reporting the current news with that lens on, then the information that is being dished out to the public is misinformation or actually disinformation. Um, and the message that the, uh, a lot of uh, supporters of the treaty policies that have been in place in the past, a lot, the message that they got was that the government wanted to get rid of the treaty. Well, that's just a complete and utter load of nonsense, of course. And so the anger that's out there over the reset of the treaty principles bill is, I think, misplaced to a large extent, but deliberately, um, it's been deliberately racked up, if you like, by the uh, not only the media, but the politicians who are, you know, quite anxious to try and get the biggest um, protests that they can. And I mean, we even had the point of, we've had um, politicians, former ministers, you know, saying that, you know, we're going to go to war over this. And what was the latest one at Waitangi, that they were going to take up arms against it? Yeah, there's you know, some sort of firearms completely over the top. Yeah, yeah. dangerous it's, talk. It's way over the top. And, you know, it's inciting violence and it's just not right. These people have lost their heads over this. It's just ridiculous. If we go back to a, a calm and sensible approach to it all, all that they want to do is to have a look at all the bits of legislation where there are treaty principles written into the laws that are undefined. And there's two strands of work, of course, going on through the coalition. One is the New Zealand First Agreement, which asks that each of those uh, bits of legislation are reassessed and where there's a specific uh, requirement for this treaty principle, uh, then that's written into the law. So it, doesn't, it isn't left hanging as a general uh, frame. It's, it's actually specified. And if there is nothing specific in there that relates to it, it's removed. So you've got that strand of work, which will go through presumably with a fine tooth comb and pick up all the principles. And then you've got the other strand of work, which is the ACT Party's uh, desire, if you like, to have a, a discussion and a debate about the treaty and where it's all heading and the treaty principles. And they're wanting to redefine uh, the principles and put them into law. And, of course, um, that's the one that's uh, got the National Party and New Zealand First um, quite concerned. It's interesting, isn't it, because um, with New Zealand First, you've got Winston Peters and Shane Jones, the main, you know, face of that party, both Māori, 
um, and Shane Jones, fluent speaker and, you know, lives and breathes it, obviously. You've got David Seymour, who's has uh, um, Maori whakapapa. Yeah, it's interesting listening to what Maori say. They don't actually consider them to be kind of real Maori because they don't behave as real Maoris are, are expected to behave. It's kind of a weird situation. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, David Seymour wanted us to have a debate about the treaty. And I have to say, he's been incredibly successful in that. We can now talk about these matters without being called a flipping racist by somebody. And so, you know, we've made huge strides as a country in, in a very short space of time. But it is very interesting because the fundamental debate that's going on, and, and this is why the uh, politicians like Winston and David and, and Shane are not called, quote, proper Maori. It's a debate about whether we want tribalism for New Zealand or whether we want to retain our democracy. And that's what they've been trying to push on to us. And if you have a think back to 2020, it, it was not long into the new government's um, regime that we discovered Hipurpur, if you remember. And that was the blueprint for tribal control of New Zealand by 2040. And the Ardern government had never mentioned this document, which was being rolled out sort of almost the day after the election was held. And, but it was never mentioned. So the public actually had no idea that the, what they were trying to force onto New Zealand was tribalism. Because all the stuff about co-governance, you know, where you've got 50% uh, are iwi and the other 50% are elected representatives or whoever, um, they have a power of veto. Iwi have a power of veto. And so it's tribal control. And we saw the way it was heading. You know, you look at the, the um, Maori Health Authority that had the power. When you stand, stand back and think about this, it's astonishing. They had the power to change the way our health system works. So if you are Maori now, you get priority treatment. And if you're not Maori, you get shoved down the list. And there are cases now where two people equally sick if you're the Maori one, you get treated today. If you're not, you have to wait. And that is just appalling. And that all came in under this tribal control agenda that Labour put in without asking voters. They had no mandate whatsoever for it. And so that's the debate that's going on. And, of course, the politicians that you mentioned, Winston and Shane and David Seymour, they're not tribalists, are they? They're not pushing for a tribal control of New Zealand. They're standing for democracy. And that's where this, this debate has got to go. It's got to head up to the upper level. And the question we need to ask is, do we want to retain a democracy where each one of us is sovereign and every three years we get to choose our parliament and it gets to make the laws? Or do we want to give our sovereignty to the tribal elite so that they can use it as they see fit? And that's the fundamental question that we should, well, we are debating it. I just don't think we've got those words yet. Yet we had a Labour Party, which supposedly represents the working class people of New Zealand, that's their history, who were prepared to do that. Oh, I know. It, it was, this is why, to be honest, when we realised what was going on, 
we just sat there and scratched our heads and said, how the hang can this be happening? Because it was so bizarre. It's like, and then you started to look at the numbers, right? You started to look at the number of uh, tribalists who were in the caucus of Labour, how many of them were in Cabinet, and a lot of them were long-standing members of Parliament, and you started to realise the power that they were holding was, was disproportionate. And so I think that's what happened, that the uh, Labour Party was captured. And uh, I think, and we saw it a few times, didn't we, where Nanaya Mahuta, who was the minister in charge of the Three Waters, she did things, she put stuff into the bill that the Cabinet hadn't signed off on. And you can only say that can only happen if somebody thinks they've got ultimate power and they don't need to bother about asking everyone else. And so we then got a sense of where all this was heading, and it was not good. And I'm just so pleased that the... Because the media weren't talking about it, the mainstream media. They were promoting But New Zealanders did find out, and fortunately they voted against it at the election. Boy, it sounds like we just dodged a bullet there. I, I, I really do think we did. But we're not over it, you see. This is the trouble. We're not through it, because there were... There were two things, right, that, well, three things that they did. One that most people aren't aware of is they put or forced organisations up and down the country to put the treaty principles into their constitutions and to swear by, you know, they'll uphold the Treaty of Waitangi, they'll abide by a partnership. Some of them were forced into putting co-governance boards in place. A lot of charities are in that that situation. So any organisation in the private sector, the public sector we know about, we know that's what they had to do, but the private sector, any organisation that was linked to the government through funding or through registration, they had this forced on them. And they're still now like real estate agents who are having to undergo this propaganda of treaty education. And that's happening right now. And so you've got that happening, right? But there were two more really important things. So the framework was put in place for tribal rule. But the more important issues were tikanga and the treaty in a constitution. And now what they did was they persuaded, I don't know how on earth they did it, they persuaded the Supreme Court to come out with a judgment that said tikanga has a place in our common law, the common law of New Zealand. Now, the significance of that is incredible because tikanga means whatever anyone wants it to mean, really. And the thing about the common law and the law in New Zealand is that it's got to be certain. That's what the rule of law is all about. You know that if you cross this line, you're going to get, you know, consequences. And so what they've done is they've corrupted the law, and we just saw a case, uh, you probably... um, have, uh, you know, your eyebrows were probably raised when you saw the decision too in the last few days where iwi leaders have, um, have now got the Supreme Court to agree that a case that's been thrown out about um, forcing Fonterra and uh, seven big companies to, um, they want to get them fined over not doing enough on climate change. So that case was thrown out through the High Court and the Court of Appeal 
and the Supreme Court has now said, oh, yes, it's all about tikanga in there, and so it should go back and be heard. Now, all of that, and we know it, the dire consequences. I mean, we've been personally been involved in the foreshore and seabed um, cases, and the Court of Appeal, a case we took to the Court of Appeal in the public interest, um, it had the judges rule that all the property right tests that um, claimants had to make to show they'd owned this piece of coast exclusively and continuously since 1840, that was all thrown out the window. All they have to do is hold it according to tikanga. And the Court of Appeal said, we know Parliament meant it to be harder to get um, to succeed in the claims, but we don't like that, so we're going to lower the bar. And that's what's happening at the moment. And I tell you what, unless Parliament steps in and changes the law, the whole coast, right out to the edge of the territorial sea, is going to be uh, controlled by iwi very shortly. So that is a huge problem with tikanga in the law. And the final one they wanted was to put the treaty into a constitution, a new constitution for New Zealand. But the implications of that are horrendous. Because if we go to a written constitution, that means our elected parliament is no longer in charge. They're no longer the ultimate lawmaker in the country. And they're the ones we can boot out, of course, every three years if we don't like what they're doing. But it would put judges in charge of lawmaking in New Zealand. And we can't boot them out. We can't do anything about what they say. And that's what iwi want for New Zealand. So... The last one, treaty into a constitution, the Waitangi Tribunal is going to be uh, doing a case on that shortly, which is why they should be abolished as well. Um, but anyway, uh, that's what's still in store, and that's what's stopping us from tribal rule. Now, my view and a view of a lot of people who've studied this is that the new government has got a big job to do to dismantle the framework that's been put in place because otherwise um, all it would take is a new government uh, with those tribalist objectives and the country would be gone. Democracy would be out Crikey. the window. It'd still be there in, 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 in words, but it wouldn't mean anything. It'd be shocking. Wow. <laughs> That's I know, I know. It's, it's really scary, um, Paul, because... Yeah. Not many people know about it, and again, it's because the media have been silent on all these issues. Not not quite all. That's a little bit of an oversimplification, um, because there have been, uh, at times, various uh, journalists have written various uh, pieces to expose this. But overall, the public have little idea of what was going on under the scenes. And fortunately, when we looked at the coalition agreements, they actually had covered off most of these things. And so it's now up to those three parties to make sure they do what they said. And if they do what they said, then I think we can sleep easy at night. If they get thrown off or scared by the intimidation and the threats, then I think there is a real concern for the future of New Zealand. Muriel, thank you for coming on RCR and putting putting it like that, that really, really clarifies a lot of stuff. So uh, I want to thank you for that. Thank you for having me, Paul, and I'm sorry if I've upset everybody by saying it. <laughs> best to know. It's best to know.
Okay, thank you very much indeed. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Loving what you're hearing? Well, the establishment hates it. And right now they're conjuring up new ways to try and censor RCR. To ensure you never miss a beat of the hard-hitting news you've come to know and love, make sure you're on the RCR mailing list. Get connected now at realitycheck.radio forward slash email.